Welcome back to Word and Table, a weekly podcast on liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship and why it is vital in our world today. I'm your host, Alex Wilgus, and I'm here as always with Father Stephen Gauthier. Welcome back, Father Stephen. Great to be back, Father Alex. Father Stephen is the canon theologian of the Diocese of the Upper Midwest in the Anglican Church in North America, and he is Director of Formation at St. Paul's House of Formation in the Greenhouse Movement. Father Stephen, we've been over a just a just one or two of the letters of St. Paul on our program. I think we did maybe an intro to first and second Corinthians and I think something on Hebrews, but uh, as we'll see, that's uh, not included. I wanted to begin by giving listeners an introduction to uh, the majority of the New Testament, um, which are uh, St. Paul's letters. So we've got 27 books in the New Testament. 13 of those attributed to St. Paul, I guess just under half. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I, I, I remember, I got to say, like, I realized that this comprised most of the New Testament and, growing up. And actually, frankly, it was it was probably the part of the Bible I ended, I grew up reading most. I remember especially reading tons and tons of Romans and Gal- Galatians trying to puzzle out how I, how I could figure out that I was actually saved or not. Um but uh, I, I thought it'd be a good idea to maybe, in case our listeners are in something of a similar position, finding you know quotes and pericopes here and there, and they're just kind of being thrown at you uh, to prove different things or, or this or that, um, maybe we could step back and get some of the basics of what you would need to know about Paul in order to get a starting point to, to take on this, this chunk of the New Testament. Okay, yeah, that's a, a really good point because trying to read, it's like reading letters to someone when you don't know the other letters of the situation. They mean a lot more if you have some sort of context. Like, uh, there's no connection, as we'll see, between how we arrange them in chronological order. <laughs> None, which is very ancient. We'll talk about that. But let's talk first about Paul. You know, uh, some interesting things about his uh, apostleship. First of all, he was born with the name of Saul. Saul is his Hebrew name of Tarsus. Tarsus on what today would be the south coast of Turkey, of modern Turkey. Mm -hmm. And what really puts Paul in a fantastic position is that, first of all, he's raised not just Jewish. Remember, there's a big split in the Jewish world between those who uh, lived in the diaspora who had lost every connection, basically, with their linguistic roots. Hebrew itself was a dead language for all practical purposes, but basically people would speak Aramaic, which is like, think of Latin to, um, you know, Latin to Italian. I mean, there's clearly a connection, etc. So they did that, but there was a different language. And the Jews who lived elsewhere spoke Greek, and they lost all knowledge of the others. That's why we translated the Bible, you know, uh, well before Christ into Greek, because people couldn't read Hebrew anymore outside of, uh, outside of the Holy Land. So the beautiful thing about Paul is he's this incredible situation. He's raised, he tells us, he's raised as an Aramaic speaker. You know, he spoke Aramaic naturally, but he also spoke perfect Greek because he also was raised in Tarsus. Yeah. So we'll have these linguistic commentaries on him in Acts of the Apostles that, you know, he was accomplished in both. So he actually spanned this gap between we call the Hellenists, Jews who, sort of like Italian-Americans versus Italians, you know, they might be proud of their heritage and things, but they're more American than Italian. Right, right, right. <laughs> As opposed to, you know, that's how they felt Jews who lived in the Holy Land. But we're the real thing. We still speak our language. You know, we live here in the Holy Land. You're sort of Greek more than anything else. But he actually spanned that because he had a, per- had a Hebrew education. He studied a Gamaliel and things. He had quite the career in the actual Jewish establishment. 
Uh, he's converted on the road to Damascus. Jesus himself has called him to big things. He tells us, you know, he's, he's his special, thanks to the, um, as the church says, to the prayers of Stephen. Remember, Saul was there when Stephen was martyred, and Stephen prayed, and the church has always held that prayer was answered with mm-hmm. Saul. Yeah, yeah. And he's our original principal church planner. He had three glorious missionary journeys, which really make the, uh, make the church a real presence outside the Holy Land. And he is an apostle equal to the Twelve. You know, this was something that would be challenged by his rivals. In some of his letters, they will say, well, you're not really like the other the Twelve. You know, you're, and he'd say, no, I have, he has an equal status. And he's accepted by the other apostles. And he has this unique mission to the Gentiles. You know, he, uh, you know, he and Peter, you know, Peter is, even though he's, Peter opened the way to the Gentiles, he has this vision, remember, with Cornelius. He says, my primary mission, Peter's primary mission is to, is to Jews, and Paul's primary mission is to Gentiles, even though he always, everywhere he goes, always stops at the synagogue first. Right, right. So he's this perfect bridge then. The perfect bridge. Yeah, yeah. I could see why God would would have chosen him. And he had this glorious education, made him perfect, like with these letters, because he had a, a regular Jewish education. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got it. So, I mean, he really knew the scriptures. That's why he quotes them so well. Yeah. And he knew them in both languages. Because we can see times that sometimes he quotes the Greek version, and sometimes when the Hebrew gets better, he'll quote the Hebrew instead. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he knew both, naturally. We can prove this if you look at its quotes. He doesn't always quote the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Bible. Sometimes he said, oh, the Hebrew is so much better. I'm going to do my own translation. Oh, fascinating. Okay, I don't, I don't think I've ever actually heard that. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about the the how the order that you find Paul's letters in if you open up a New Testament Bible today? Because like you said, it's not chronological, right? Well, it's funny. This is true of most people in the ancient world. It's so counterintuitive to us. We think automatically of time, chronology. Yeah. People, even to, even to later times, normally thought the opposite. It was length. Mm-hmm. So we even see this as late as the 7th uh, actually be the 8th century, and they put it together. 7th century is uh, with the Quran, the Muslim holy book is it takes the longest first, except for the very first chapter, which is sort of an introduction, sort of like Psalm 1 in the Quran. They go longest first. <laughs> Interesting. Having, which in the Quran is exactly backwards. The original ones were, you know, in a sense were short and then they got longer. But it seemed natural to ancient people to start with long things first. Yeah. So guess what we do? We go from the longest to the shortest. So we start with Romans as the longest of the uh, Pauline letters. And so we start with Romans. It certainly isn't the first. But it's the longest. So you start there and we basically work down, except there's one other division. We figure letters to individuals is one exception. Letters to individuals come after letters to churches. So we start, so let's have, first of all, churches versus people. And within churches, longest to shortest. And the one exception is uh, when we get to Philemon, Philemon is closely connected with, the, with another epistle. And so they want to put it next to it, you know, so that's why we have Philemon is in a strange place that way. It sort of looked as, a, as an adjunct to that. Okay. And so what about Hebrews, people might say, because, you know, the old King James Bible, Bible would say, you know, the, the epistle of, of St. Paul to the Hebrews, and it was not, it was not an epistle. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you read some uh, older scholars as well, they'll talk about, you know, as St. Paul says in the Hebrew in Hebrews yes. <laughs> so oh many of the fathers uh, but there was no consensus by any means that Hebrews was from Paul and so they found a halfway house for Hebrews because there were associations with Paul 
even though it doesn't claim to be Pauline. And many people said, no, it can't be Pauline. The, the themes are different and the language isn't at all like Paul in anything. Is a lot of people said it can't be by him. So they sort of compromised by putting it right after the Pauline letters and before all the other general epistles. Got it. Got it's it. Sort of a, it's okay. sort of like a borderline, uh, bordered line. It's not even an epistle. It's, it's, it's really a, a treatise. So this it's is... not addressed to anybody. It's just it's basically a theological treatise or like a sermon, maybe a you know, really good theological sermon. So this is more of an arrangement, kind of a, this is more of an arrangement for like uh, almost typesetting or something like that. Like how, how does it, how does it work like on the actual page, but has nothing to do with. Yes and no. I think it was so popular because people would say, I know how long something is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so you, you is... didn't have to know the chronology. You could say, yeah, you know, I know this is, uh, this is really long. It's got to be near toward the front. Okay, yeah. So this is again. That's what I mean. Like this is user experience. Yeah. User <laughs> okay. Experience. Yeah. So this is this is laid out according to user experience. So let's let's talk about the actual chronology then. Well, I think a great way to understand Paul's letters is to understand there were basically four periods. You know, sort of four stages, and each stage has a theme that goes with it that we can clearly see. So the first period is during Paul's second missionary journey. Remember the first journey he takes. Uh, you know, um, with Barnabas. When they're on that journey, they go in Asia Minor and things, all these churches, and then they come back on a second. Uh, this time it's just Paul. You know, Barnabas goes his own way with uh, John, John Mark. And it's during that second missionary journey we get our very first letters. Hmm. So the first have to do with the second missionary journey. Then Paul makes a third missionary journey. We have another set of letters. Then we have time when uh, Paul is in capti the captivity epistles, you know, when he's uh, basically being held a prisoner. And then we have epistles after his release and maybe later imprisonment. Hmm. Now, if we look at those four things, the first set of letters, this shouldn't surprise us, the second missionary journey are about eschatology, the last things, because people here in the earliest season are most concerned that Jesus is going to come back any moment potentially, right? Yeah. And so they're really dealing with practical things of what Jesus, now that we're waiting for him, here are some practical questions about waiting for Jesus. So we'll see, that's the first thing we call eschatology is the main theme. What is going to be like? What does it mean Jesus coming? What about people who died? Sure. You know, they were Christians. They died too soon. What happens? The second group, which is the third missionary journey, is about how are we saved? Like you say, your question, when you're a young right. man, you're reading Romans, how am I saved? Soteriology, we call that. You know, how am I saved? Then when we come to captivity, we say, wait a second, we know we're saved through Jesus Christ. So we want to know more about Jesus, Christology. Exactly who is this Jesus for whom we have salvation? Christology, the person of Christ. And then the last group, the release and later imprisonment is about, you know, Christ's body is still with us. It's called the church, ecclesiology, our life together, you know, in the body of Christ. So if we look at those four, it gives us a really good way of sort of approaching the four chronological periods. You know, second missionary journey is the first period. Third missionary journey is the second. Captivity is the third and then finally release and later imprisonment is the fourth mm -hmm. okay so these themes kind of follow these these uh follow these periods in his life so yeah that's that's actually that's helpful eschatology soteriology christology ecclesiology now that you know if you you go to college you go to bible college it's, that's 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 fairly user-friendly so <laughs> and it's so logical when you think yeah. about it the first thing you'd want to know if you're told he's coming okay tell me everything what about that he's yeah. coming He's coming. The day of the Lord is coming. And secondly, how am I saved? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, wait a second. If I'm saved through Christ, I want to know more about Christ. You know, who is this, this, this Christ who could do all of this? Why is his death so powerful? 
And then we have ecclesiology, our life together. Mm. Well, let's talk about, so what are the books we find in the first period, the, the second missionary journey talking about last things? Well, one re- we have the two epistles to the Thessalonians. And what I, first Thessalonians particularly interesting is the oldest writing of any kind we have Christian writing. There is nothing anywhere older than First Thessalonians. Mm. It's the oldest uh, writing we have. And here's the first question that comes up is what happens, you know, a lot of us, we've been waiting in the ancient world, you know, basically in modern life, Alex, it's sort of like being on a plane. Most accidents occur, take off and landing. Right, right. Once you're in the air, being in the air is pretty safe. It's take off and landing. And that's how modern medicine is is most people overwhelmingly either sadly die, you know, as early in our lives and our, you know, in pregnancy, you know, in early, um, you know, in delivery or especially in old age. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's pretty much a free ride. <laughs> in the ancient world, it was nothing like this. Ancient medicine is like a bad joke. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, if you didn't die of the disease, the doctor would get you, yeah. you know, these kind of things. And so what happens here is people died routinely at all ages. Mm-hmm. For example, we get everyone's had an infection. Infections typically kill people. Wow. Often kill people. You people get step on the wrong thing, get an infection, they die. Wow. You get ne- you know they get necrosis, you know they you know the and they they die. So one thing people had to fail is is regular folks died. They got things happened a lot more than the modern world. It was a pretty dangerous place. And so the question became, hey, we have a church here now and you know somebody believed in Jesus but they died before he got back. So what happens to them? Did they just, does that mean God doesn't love them? It was too soon because I thought we were all waiting here for Jesus to take us home. So, well, they didn't make it. They're dead. Hmm. And that's where Paul has to, you don't get it. You know, he says, here's how the resurrection works. You know, you know, the dead will be the first ones raised and then we'll be gathered up with them. You know, I love that. You know, then we, the living, you know, that we'll have no advantage over those who've fallen asleep believing in Jesus, Mm -hmm. he says. And then they'd say, well, you know, how fast is this coming? And he'd say, well, like in second, uh, second Thessalonians, He's saying, you know, something else has to happen first. We know we have to have this great trial we go through, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist has to come. Well, that hasn't happened yet, so he's not coming tomorrow morning, you know, in the sense that we know some other things have to happen first to give us some idea that this is an instantaneous. Mm -hmm. And then finally, we actually have the problem. Some people, you know, if you found out, like people who get bad medical uh, uh, diagnoses, uh, Alex, uh, what happens is you get a talk, like I like talk, the tumor talk, mm-hmm. where they'll tell you, hey, you don't quit your job. You know, you have to keep, you know, you don't quit your job, don't make any big decisions, that kind of yeah. thing. So he has to have sort of this talk and saying, you have to remain invested in daily life. Some people were just acting like bombs, saying, if, we're, if Jesus is coming any day, I don't want to work right. anymore. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, no, we have to remain invested in daily life. So this, this is the, es- these are the eschatology epistles talking about, hey, Here's what's going to come when he comes. You have no, the dead will be raised first and we'll come and join them together. There'll be at no disadvantage. It's not happening right away because we know the man of lawlessness has to come first. And again, meanwhile, regardless, we're always on the lookout, but we have to remain. There's no contradiction being remaining invested in daily yeah. life. Yeah. It's sort of like Jesus tells us, you know, it's sort of like a man going off to get a kingdom with the parable of the Minas. And he says, you know, your job isn't sitting around waiting to get back. You need to be investing while I'm gone. You're not just sitting around. You have something you have to do. Right. Right. <laughs> well, let's talk about the second phase of these letters, the Paul's third missionary journey and what's uh, focusing on, on soteriology, how we're saved. That This is probably the portion of Paul's letters that receives the, the most attention, at least in Protestant circles. Oh, yes, uh, understandably so. 
And so we start here is there are basically four letters in this in this period. Galatians, um, which is, you know, Paul whips this out during an emergency. Then we have first and second Corinthians, which is gives us a priceless idea of what church was really like. Mm-hmm. So we don't get these uh, ideas of, um, you know, something out of, um, you know, the Bible stu- study Bible type of thing where everything's everyone's just smiling and happily around. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. Real life continued. Uh-huh. And then we have Romans. Romans was basically, you know, Galatia ever written something saying, boy, I wish I had time to really write th- what I really thought, really had the time to do it right. Uh-huh. Well, that's what happens with Romans. Romans is basically Paul comes back to Galatians now. Now that he has the time to really say, you know, I told you what I did was good, but I've got to tell you now, now that I have time, let me really flesh that out. Okay, yeah. I want to do it more systematically and flesh out. The first time I was saying, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> it starts out that way. What are you doing? I barely left. And you've already, you know, but here he's saying, now let me, let me give you the, the, the whole All thing. Right. So let's talk about Galatians. One thing Paul had to deal with is he had this unique situation that he's an apostle, but he's not like the other 12. People understood that, you know, the other 12 spent years with Jesus. Remember it was the condition of being an apostle that they had been with him since his baptism. They had seen the risen Jesus. Yeah. Paul certainly saw the risen Jesus appeared to him, but he wasn't with them in that group. And some people were challenging him. And so one thing he's emphasizing his claim to apostleship, that he was directly chosen by Jesus himself. Mm-hmm. And that the apostles had recognized, even though he's saying, I don't depend on their recognition, but just for the record, they all recognized me. Yeah. I went to Jerusalem. They all recognized me, etc. So, But the interesting part is there were people saying, you know, you, you have to hedge your bets. <laughs> you know, like a diversified portfolio. I'm a financial guy, you know, from the background, you know, I have the CPA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're saying, you know, this Christianity thing's good, but you know, we, what about Judaism? We should probably need, you know, some people are saying you need to, you know, Christianity lets more people become Jews, but you have to be a good Jew to be a Christian. Yeah. So they're saying that they, they say, you know, pagans have to really convert to Judaism and then take on Jesus too. And Paul's saying, no, no, you don't get it. The law and the gospel are incompatible. The purpose of the law is to show us that it's not enough that we need the gospel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He calls it flesh versus the whole. One's the diagnosis, the other is the cure. Right, right. And he says, you know, but you can't, you know, you're, you're, it's like you're saying that Christ would have to be crucified again. I mean, if, if we're able without, the, without Jesus to be saved, then why would he die for us? Yeah, yeah. He's basically saying that Christianity is not Judaism light for Gentiles. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, oh, that, okay, yeah, so... So this 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 would clearly be of concern to people wanting to know how they're justified, right? That it's like right. So and he said, "You are so off." He said, "Yeah, I can't believe you're abandoning. You're going back. This is all about the spirit and freedom, and you're talking about binding us under under the law." Yeah, and he gets pretty wild. I mean, Paul here is really <laughs> angry. He's shocked that they fell. He said, "I'm amazed how fast you've fallen from the gospel." We told yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing to show, give you an idea, when he's talking about how he, he, they shouldn't be circumcising, you know, that there's no reason to circumcise Gentiles, is he says, to put it very politely, he says, I wish the knife would slip. <laughs> <laughs> if, they want, if they want to, you know, yeah, it's really pretty, uh, pretty straightforward. Strong, I mean, Paul was clearly... Strong words from a guy f- of his background, right? Pretty strong yeah. words. I mean, Paul was really thought this was a major danger to the gospel. Yeah. That, that's why we love it so much. It's about grace. He says, let's have no doubt about this. These people are thinking somehow we're bringing something to the table about, except from receiving God's grace. Mm-hmm. That somehow, and he's saying, no, we're not. From beginning to end, it's about grace. Okay. So that's Galatians. But it was written in an emergency. He just got in the word saying, I can't believe this is happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I barely left. <laughs> and you've already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So first Corinthians and second Corinthians. Well, first Corinthians is fabulous for us because it deals with practical issues with a real church. Mm -hmm. You know, he spent a lot of time in Corinth, of course, and uh, was in the capital of the southern part of Greece, which you call Kea. You know, when you look at the map, as hand that's sticking out of the Mediterranean. The northern part of Greece at that time was called Macedonia. There are two Roman provinces. Mm -hmm. And the first thing was the problem, you'll never guess this, Alex. Do you know sometimes churches divide? <laughs> I've heard about that. Yeah, yeah, you've probably heard about it, but it really can happen. Yeah. And they were already having the challenge of division within the church. Yeah, yeah. So he's dealing with that, saying, no, 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 we can't have this. It's not, you know, this, the church, the unity uh, that's inherent in the gospel. Then he talks about this thing. He said, you know, he says, each of you is bringing something different to the table, which isn't compatible with the Christian vision. He says, Jews tend to, uh, you know, tend to em emphasize power, you know, miraculous powers, miracles and signs. And he says, you know, versus he says power versus weakness he said you know christ's victory was on a cross hmm. it looked like he was losing exactly when he was winning and he says so i'm talking about the real power is our weakness and he says like Jew greeks were all about the the thinking part you know about the um, having rational arguments and like and he says i'm telling you the gospel here looks like folly i'm not giving them some rational speculation as to why you should believe this you know i'm telling them, this is this is what god tells us this is the fact yeah so he's emphasizing wisdom versus folly for the Greeks. He said, if you're looking at me to have another school of philosophy, I'm not. This is not another school of philosophy. It's the true wisdom, but it's not a, just another human arrangement. It's, you know, he says God's folly is better than your, your, your wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> saying it doesn't depend on our being able to figure things sure. out. And with Jews, he's saying, I'm telling you, the real miracle of God is his weakness. That with his weakness, he does these amazing things. That's the real miracle. And then we have the importance of sexual morality. You know, sometimes people say, you know, the important things are creedal issues or something. Where's this, you know, Paul is emphasizing that we can never separate faith and morals. Mm -hmm. You know, how we, our faith is, is intimately tied to how we live. Yeah. And our bodies are important. We're talking about the resurrection of the body. And so the body has a real importance. So we can't just treat this as just, is of no interest. And so he emphasized the importance of sexual morality. He has a practical issue of what do you do uh, with food offered to idols? And here's the problem, is food offered to idols, there were some things, you know, clearly in the ancient world, and actually in most primitive societies, not that the ancient world was primitive, but in most societies, pre-modern societies, the slaughter of animals is quasi-religious. There's some religious ritual that goes on with slaughtering animals. And so all meat was slaughtered in a temple. Yeah. It was no difference. It was just the way it was done. You didn't have to be turkey. And then they'd set it off. Some people, some things would be eaten like a communion service at the temple, but almost all of it was sent to the marketplace. It was just meat. That's just how you processed meat. Mm -hmm. And so the question came, can I, you know, yeah, I can't go to a temple and do that stuff. You know, I'd be worshiping in the temple, but what about I just go to the market? I mean, I can't buy regular meat on the market because it might've been, you know, offered in the temple. Yeah. So he deals with, how do I deal with that? Because this is people saying when I buy my meat. <laughs> yeah. Am I committing some kind of religious boundary like, yeah. crossing? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Then gloriously he talks us about Eucharist. He talks to us. He says, the, the, the cup that we're taking, is it not the, the blood of Christ? The, is the bread, is it not his body? Participation in the body of Christ. Participation in his blood. Then he talks about spiritual gifts. He said to each one is given a gift of the spirit for the common good. He talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And most important, he talks about the resurrection of the body, our great hope. He said, you know, if Christ isn't risen, then we are, we're really foolish. We, boy, if we make the wrong decision. Yeah. He said, we are men most to be pitied. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. 
So this is an amazing epistle. An amazing. And these were all based on real questions. Yeah, yeah. A lot of these have been sent by the church and others have just arisen. But he said, I've got to answer these questions for you guys. So this is sort of a Q&A almost. Yeah, yeah Q&A. Some had been raised by the people there in a letter they'd written to him and others, he said, I've heard people tell me stories. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Chloe's people are telling me people aren't getting along and you're dividing it. So I've got to, I've got to step sure, in here, guys. Sure, sure. Okay, so, so that's 1 Corinthians. Obviously, that's a very yeah. frequently quoted book in, in the church. But and uh, what about 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians is neat. It tells us more than much of our knowledge of Paul comes from 2 Corinthians. Mm. What had happened was, is uh, we have an episode on this, but basically uh, Paul had visited Corinth. It's been a wonderful time there. He's going to come back, visit back, and he runs into problems because some other people he calls super apostles are coming in and they're too equal. Well, Paul is a nice amateur, but we're the, we're the, you know, the, the adults have come now. Yeah. And they're trying this influence. And, uh, and what really hurt his feelings is apparently some people started criticizing Paul and people then stepped up to his defense and he felt sort of betrayed. That seems appears what happened. And so he told them he had written this letter and, you know, in sorrow with tears, etc. So he's basically trying to settle things, get things right with them. Yeah. So we hear, but there are a lot of beautiful things, uh, you know, uh, issues, but it tells us a lot about his dealing with conflict within the church. Like, how do we deal with repentance? What do we do when people fall? And it's saying, you know, it's the important thing is we don't want to lose these people. You have to have discipline. We don't want to lose them. You know, that kind of thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful letter, but it tells us a lot about Paul. And he tells us about a lot of his background, like his vision, special vision of God, where he's caught up into the third heaven. He talks about his background. He said, a lot of these people said, you know, Paul doesn't have a letter of recommendation. I love this when he says, what do you call yourself? I founded this church. Why do I need a letter of recommendation? I founded this church. But he said, <laughs> if I did, here's what would be in that letter of recommendation. He said, you're my letter of recommendation. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, so it's a very interesting letter. Sure, sure. Okay, so you had said that Romans was kind of like the director's cut of Galatians, right? Yeah. Like, I really want to go back and say, now that we've cooled off a little bit, let's go ahead and, and systematically go through. Systematically. And it's, say what I mean about, about all this. So A glorious job. How are we saying? Yeah. And he's basically the problem of Jew and Gentile because Paul is really big. He's very proud of being a Jew. The Jews are deeply understood. He says, I'd actually, I'd be damned myself if it could save the Jews, my own people. I, he's like Moses standing in the breach. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, when Moses said, you know, God said, well, why don't I make you the chosen people? But, oh, no, I, I don't want to be separated. But he says, you know, the basics, a very uh, quick way of looking, is basically Jews and Gentiles, there's one problem, therefore one solution. Hmm. Jew and Gentile have the same problem. Yeah. As, and, as, and that's where we led justify, justification by faith. And we achieve that just that we are baptized into Christ's death. And, we're, and we and we come out of that his the baptism into his death we rise to new life which is the Holy Spirit in us and he talks about the ultimate restoration of the Israelites you know the, the Jewish people their ultimate restoration and then talks a lot about Christian living nice nice it's a fabulous epistle yeah I mean it's uh, Luther's favorite of course of course yeah yeah this is the one that we get a lot a lot a lot of quotes out of um, it's hard not to love it's hard to imagine our theology without Romans it's such a gift uh, you know in all the scripture it's such a huge gift to understanding uh, what Jesus did for us okay so that takes us to the next phase which is you know now that we've talked about how we're saved we get to talk about who saves us so the the these are the when Paul's in captivity right so this is uh, mm-hmm. this is but this he's he's focusing here on the person of Christ right so what books do we find in here yeah, because you might ask questions like, you know, 
how come his death had such power? You know, we think like a regular person dying. Well, that's that's nice, you know, like symbolic, like yeah. you as a Texan, the Alamo or something. Uh -huh. But tell me again, why would it have such an effect? And he's talking about, let's talk about who this is. And he talks about in Colossians. The first of these is Colossians, an amazing letter. I love Colossians. And he says, the premise is the premise of Christ. You have to understand who this Christ is. He's the firstborn of all creation. Mm -hmm. You know, the, you know, he's the firstborn of the dead. He says he's first in all things. So at the very, from the very beginning of creation, we have Jesus. His image is on everything. You know, we see his, his, his fingerprints are on everything. As you know, everything's created through. We see his fingerprints on everything. He's the firstborn of the dead. He's the image of the invisible God. I love that. Yeah. It's sort of like the image here is, imagine like a seal. When you put a seal on wax, you look at it and you say, oh, you can see perfectly what's on the seal, right? When you see one is to see the other. Sure. If you looked at a letter and had a seal, you say, oh, that's the Great Seal of England on a document. Well, the Great Seal of England actually is in the, in the Tower of London, but you'd say to see one is to see the other. He's the perfect image of the invisible God. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And he says, in him was all the fullness of God pleased to dwell. I love that. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So Jesus isn't just like one of the prophets, even though he was speaking God's word. When we met Jesus, we met God. Yeah. yeah. We came face to face. The fullness of God, not a little piece of God, the fullness of God to meet Jesus is to meet, was pleased to dwell. And he says that's why the completeness of Christians, we don't lack anything. Christians don't, you know, we, we have everything in Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's why his death means so much. Yeah, yeah. So Colossians is the place to start there. Uh, next in order would be Philemon, which is a personal letter, which is tremendously endearing. It shows a side of Paul hard not to love. Uh, you know, Paul can be hard in Galatians. But here, the runaway slave. Yeah. And Paul the converted me. He said, well, I can't, you know, I send him back. But he says back with this letter. And if you read Greek, it's filled with puns. <laughs> I mean, for someone who's just started reading Greek, it's so much fun because you'll understand all the puns. Yeah. Like one of them is the name of the guy is called Onesimus, which means useful. And he's saying, actually, he used to be useless to you. He was just a slave. Now he's really useful. Uh -huh. And you have to trust me, it's a hoot in Greek. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, I know it doesn't agree. Okay. Uh, Ephesians draws heavily on Colossians. There's clearly a relationship between these letters. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, you know, Ephesians. But he talks about the church again as the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ is in the church. And he talks about the inherent unity of the church. I love this in Ephesians about there's a diversity of gifts, but it's like in being in a body, the diversity is, you know, body has, we have different organs because we have all these different things we need, right, to function as a diversity of gifts. And he talks about the need for mutual submission. And he talks, I love this, about Christ and the church being like a husband and his wife. Hmm. Christ and the church, that kind of unity. And Philippians is just one of the most heartwarming letters in, in, the, in the New Testament. He talks about their shared... The Philippians are, are, are the, the good children. I mean, we tell, they're not the problem. They are <laughs> yeah. the opposite of the Corinthians. Yeah. They're, they're a chair. And he talks about this. One of the most glorious lines in the New Testament, he talks about Christ pouring himself out for us. You know, he took on the, you know, the, uh, the image of man, not just a slave, but you know, even to the point of the cross, this pouring him out. And it's just filled with joy and contentment. Yeah, yeah. It's a tremendously engaging letter. Well, that brings us to the last phase of these letters, and that's uh, Paul's release, and then he gets put in prison again. And this is where he starts talking about the church, right? So, yeah. um, so what, what what are the letters that we find here? What happens? These are also the last letters he writes. Is the church is settling in for the long haul? We know the Lord's coming back, but we didn't really know how long that would take. But now it's becoming very clear. It's going to be. We don't know how long, but it's not. You know, we're we're less expecting it to be just any day. Mm -hmm. It could be any day. But we have to we have to plan for the long haul. 
Yeah. You know, we hope he's going to come back sooner, but we'll plan for this. So we have to deal with practical pastoral. These are called the pastoral epistles. First Timothy, Titus, and then second Timothy. And there are six things that are characteristic of all of these. The first is the challenge of false teachers. Hmm. People were coming in and saying, I like this Christianity idea. I think it can make it even better. Yeah, <laughs> you know, if this if we're coming up with a new thing, uh, here's how we could, you know, this is what you do in philosophy. You know, you sort of can say, no, 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 you need to hold on to what you get. This is not meant to to be um, a, uh, something you just bring on and make in your own image. This isn't looking like the clouds up and thing. I think I see a man, you know, um, flying a kite. <laughs> yeah, is that there really is a message, and we have to hold fast to what you have received. And this is where we get the idea of tradition. Because you talk about what you have, whole, what has been handed on to you. Right, right. The apostles have handed on to you a faith. Your job isn't to create a faith. Your job is to preserve what has been handed on to you. And he kind of, he gets pretty specific there, right? Like the sound form of words that was given to yes. you. You know, that you say what was, say what we said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because a lot of people are really getting into into uh, strange uh, things because Gnosticism was really, uh, got into this. Uh, yeah. There's a certain type of philosophy that got very esoteric. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, so yeah, so it's 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 keep it simple. <laughs> say Say what we said. I like that. I think that's a good word for today. Especially, I, I find myself coming back to to First and Second Timothy a lot. Well, I was CPA, and one thing you tell people in the business is remember what business you're in. For example, yeah. <laughs> if you're in the restaurant business, you tell somebody, you know, you get all excited about ambience and these kind of things, but at the end of the day, it comes down it's, to making it's food. the food. <laughs> That's right. It's the food. Never forget that we they call us a restaurant because. We serve food yeah. <laughs> and never forget that's the business we're in. Yeah. It's easy to get really wrapped up in the other stuff because it's exciting. But if you let the food slide, you're going to lose your customers. You have, customers will eat in a restaurant that's a whole yeah, new man. Uh, people, food. People like us that uh, talk and talk and write for a living, it can be easy to get off on uh, very, very fruitless rabbit trails. So <laughs> you want yeah. to stick, stick to the meat and potatoes here. I like that. Yeah. Then he warns of an environment of increasing godlessness. He says this is really, uh, 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 even from a Roman standards, the tradition of right relationship and things, Eusebia of the, of the Greek, Greco-Roman world, Pietas, is really under that. He said, don't be surprised. He said, don't let this throw you off. But I'm telling you this in advance that we expect this. We're told that we're going to have the, the man of unrighteousness. We know this will be characteristic. Okay. So it's not like something's gone wrong. We, this, we knew this is the environment in which we operate. It's sort of like, sometimes as Christians, we're like people who sign up to be firefighters. Like when you're a little kid, you dream, you saw the big red engine, you heard the, the, the sirens, you saw the great uniform, and you actually become a firefighter, only find out that, oh my Lord, I have to fight you fires. You get into a fire, yeah. I could get hurt. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> I could get hurt. Seriously, yeah. <laughs> but sometimes we're like that, we're sort of surprised. He said, he said that's how it is. You, don't, you can't be surprised there's a fire out yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. And he talks about avoiding needless controversies. And especially on the Jewish side, you know, the Greeks had this thing that what they did was saying, God, this perfect platonic God is utterly not matter. He's the exact opposite of, of matter. So how do you get from here to there? And they had all these different, like a, like a stairway uh -huh. <laughs> of going down from this platonic, you know, ideal, which is completely immaterial to the horrors of the material universe. Right. Well, Jews had their own version of this. Yeah. Uh. They use various types of angels to be the same thing, a Jewish version. Yeah, 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 I've heard of this. 
It's sort of like it's Gnosticism with matzo balls you know, <laughs> or, and gefilte fish. Yeah. I mean, it was. And he says, this is a waste of time. <laughs> Forget about this yeah. stuff. Get out of here. It's, it's a waste of everybody's time. Then he talks about, you know, we need to choose the right people because it's clear now where, you know, originally the church was sort of like going out there and it's like in the American West. You know what a marshal is? Is a marshal was a representative of the U.S. government, meaning any place under the U.S. flag had some form of law and order. It had a marshal and the U.S. cavalry mm-hmm. to come in and help you. But as things got settled down, you'd build a school, right? You'd build, you'd, instead of having a marshal, you'd have a sheriff. He's a local guy who would take care of law and order right. there and things. So originally we had church planners who moved on to the next church and they would appoint people. But he says, now we have to really be careful because most churches are established now. You got to be careful choosing these people. Yeah. yeah. You got to be careful about choosing overseers and deacons. And he's telling us about, you know, I love, he says, one of the first things is make sure you have people who can run their own lives. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, again, as a CPA, I thought it's amazing. In, there's something about money that helps to clarify people's minds. Yeah, Because in money, I got to tell you, that I wouldn't take financial advice from someone who's broke. Right, 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 yeah. You know, I would think saying, why would I take advice from you? But it's amazing how people will take advice, you know, in other aspects of their lives from people who are clearly not very, you know, it's like me giving advice on bodybuilding. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you'd think that this would be sort of obviously silly. You know, some old guy. And so, but he's saying here, so he said, first thing is, you know, how do they manage their own families? How can we expect someone who can't run their own household to run the house? So he talks about very and saying, here are the qualities you have to want to be. He said, you know, the trouble is you're going to be involved with money here, so you can't have people who are into money. Mm-hmm. Like he talks about, he said, you can't have this. Uh, thing to drink. He talks about people who know how to behave themselves with the opposite sex. He talks about all the things we'd expect. Good advice. Saying, yeah. you know, you have to look for, here's what we're looking for for people who are going to be leaders in the church. Boy, how much nothing has changed. Nothing changes. <laughs> like it. People nothing are still changes. people. <laughs> Money, you know, money and sex and things are still a right, problem. Right, right. And also you have to be hospitable, uh, all these kinds sure, of things. Sure, sure. And then the big thing in the ancient world was right relationship. We've talked about Eusebia Pietas. Is, you know, being a good dad, being a good, a good spouse, being a good parent, you know, being a good child, being a good brother or sister, all that kind of stuff, being a good citizen. And he's saying, hey, folks, you know, we have to prove to people that it's true. Sometimes we can't do what other people do because it violates our faith. But if it's not violating our faith, we should be the best citizens, not the worst. Yeah. And he's saying we should be setting an example. People should say, I want to hire a Christian because they work better than other people. They're honest. They're hardworking. He said, we should do anything. We should take everything good in the pagan world and celebrate it in the sense of all the good things in their, in their moral system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We should not give them an excuse. Right, right, right. Well, thanks so much, Father Stephen. Um, I'm sure that we'll be returning to future episodes on each of these letters. Absolutely. God willing. After we've given you this this introduction, so you can definitely look forward to that, to this. Or where you live, you might say, God willing, and the crypt don't rise. Yes. uh, Father Stephen has been enjoying reminding me that I'm now in in Texas and... uh, uh, I, I think your idea, right, Father Stephen, is that this it's entirely cowboys and uh, and um, you know uh, ranches and ranch hands and things like cactus, rattlesnakes, and things like that. Is that that's pretty much what you expect, right? <laughs> well, you you guys had a snake in your house, didn't you? That is a true story. Yeah, and we just saw one uh, a copperhead. That's right, and uh, and we just saw another one uh, yesterday. So uh, this, <laughs> it's okay. Maybe maybe it is a little uh, a little wild around here, but uh, we're we're getting. Well, I lived it. in Tennessee for ten years. I love the place. Uh-huh. I love I love the area, but I love the local sayings and things. One of my favorite sayings was, "Paint the cow green and call it a frog." 
I mean, how <laughs> you just take the same thing and describe it differently to get it. I, Paint the cow green and call. I love saying. I haven't. Man. I haven't heard that one, but I did know a man. That's a Tennessee. Yeah, saying. I did know a man growing up who, anytime we said "How are you?", he would say "Fine as frog's hair" every single time. Uh, so I okay. used to say it so that he would say that. Um, <laughs> anyway. Well, there's no arguing with that's that. That's right. There isn't. Surrender to the evidence. Well, thanks so much, Father Stephen. Thank you for listening to Word and Table. We'll be back again next week for more on liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship. Thanks for listening.